that is that the stuff going on in your head when you're on the treadmill at the gym? <laughs> you know, this was special for you. This was the one that I did, right? You said, I need theme song. And I said, I will absolutely make you a theme song. And that was it. That was it. That was DJ Lady D in the studio talking over the opening theme music to Collaboration Radio here at the intersection of art, activism, and social change. We have Darlene Jackson, also known as DJ Lady D, also known as the Queen of Chicago House Music, also known as, as my friend and friend to everyone who's ever stepped onto a dance floor and danced like nobody was watching. That's right. That's right. Hi, everybody. Thank you for having me today on Collaboration Radio, which I fully endorse and support. Yes. Yes. We are certified fresh by DJ Lady D. And you know this. (laughs) You do, because she is our, she's also um, Madam President. I am the president elect for the board of the Collaboration Board of Directors, and I've been doing that since 2020. How about that? Yeah, this is a very meta show. It's a meta show. I think, <laughs> Full circle. Right? On circle. Thank you for joining us uh, in the studio here today. Uh, listeners live around Chicago land, streaming on the Facebook and YouTube. We're here at WCPT, 820 AM, Chicago's progressive talk Radio, and we're also um, we're streaming live on Facebook and WCPT.com, and in the very near future, like in three days, we'll be available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and you can see Darlene's amazing smile, one of the top ten smiles in the country. Look at that! I'm serious. It's not even fair. You so are you, so when funny. You go to a, a, a when DJ Lady D is hypnotizing people to dance in mass. You basically see headphones and a big smile behind the uh, the table up there. You're like in the in the house of of love, and and that's what we're going to do today for for an hour chatting with Darlene, who is not only a DJ, but she is a master of communication. Ooh, I like it. And so we're gonna um, we're gonna get to chat a little bit and learn about this Chicago icon and um, and learn from her too. That's what I've been doing. Well, thank you. Collaboration Radio is sponsored by the Joseph and Bessie Feinberg Foundation and donors and members like you. You can email radio at collaboration dot org to learn more and to learn about how you can um, buy an ad or be a sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by our friends at AV Chicago, Chicago's leading provider of AV production and event management services. If you have the really great gear, but you don't have the really great gearheads to put it all together, it's kind of useless. Um, and then also, we're also sponsored by Ethos Collective. Ethos Event Collective is a purpose-driven destination and event management company that seeks to become a trusted strategic ally to your business as they create authentic experiences that align with your goals, delight your audience, and generate impactful outcomes. Check them out at ethoseventcollective.com. And if you read that and think about collaboration, you can see why we are so grateful to be a partner with Ethos Event Collective. Collaboration is in our 27th year as a nonprofit. Wow. 
we are having our starting our Saturn return as an organization, and our mission is to build knowledge, empathy, dialogue, and action around oppression and inequity through live theater, film, radio, youth programs, dance parties that leverage the power of storytelling and community to cultivate positive social change. This is our collaboration update section of the show, and then we'll get into our deep interview with DJ Lady D, and you can also call in for that if you want to have a question for the queen of Chicago house music. Um, you can call in at 773-763-WCPT. That's 773-763-9278. So if you're one of the live listeners in the third largest market in the United States here in the Chicagoland, um, dial in live. Get on the air. And, um, you know, Darlene is, um, you know, she's the she's our, our, our matriarch over at Clever Action as Madam President. And, you know, you could ask her things outside of the world of music she pretty much knows it all yeah I, I'm, I'm i'm all about the civic media and civics and so we can talk about anything so call in uh as far as collaboration goes we have auditions for the light coming up darlene I know, I know. I actually have been promoting it at Columbia College Chicago, where I work full time. I design diversity programs and act as a career advisor, and I'm a part time instructor. So, Tuesday, we will be at Shy Arts, where we have like 25 young people coming in. And then we go to Gary Comer Youth Center in South Shore, where we have a bunch of young people from the South Side. I mean, there might be some North and West Siders going to Gary Comer to audition, but we will be there. And then we will be at K. Ryan Center mm-hmm. in Austin That's on the right. West Side. I saw that. And then we'll be at the Kimball Arts Center in Humble Park, which is a lovely space. I'd love to go there sometime. Maybe I will. Maybe we will. You know what? They have an awesome coffee shop there. I love that place. Day Glow. The coffee is, it's otherworldly. It's incredible. Yeah. I have to, I mean, I, you know, I like coffee. I, I, like, I like it all, but I never had coffee like that before. No, it is, it is, it is. Can we have some coffee talk? <laughs> coffee talk. We need a coffee sponsorship <laughs> from Day Glow. Okay. Yeah, it'll happen. If uh, Universe will, uh, you know. Align. It, it already it's all, happened. It's all in alignment. It already happened, and we are just here. <laughs> and then um, we have a big announcement that we'll be making shortly. And, uh, of course, our gala is November 2nd. Go ahead and pencil that in, the, the Utopian Ball. Put it on your calendar. And then we have another announcement that will be coming out on the 28th that has to do with a place called the Pritzker Pavilion. Ooh. <sighs> Shh, I can't tell anyone. Don't tell. Don't tell. I won't. Okay. Keep it to And, um... Yeah, become a member. We just had the Trial the Delta premiere on Thursday night. Um, we screened uh, the film version of our stage play, Excavating the Missing Trial Transcript of the State of Mississippi versus the men who killed Emmett Till. Thought they got away with it. And then suffered the rest of their lives until they died. Sick, lonely, weird dudes. Carolyn Bryant, she hung out for a while and finally passed away. But the truth is now out. And um, as far as what happened in that trial and and on the big screen, you know, when Mamie's like 20 feet tall and the camera is just right there, I could hear, I could, all right, 
I, I worked on the adaptation, of course, and I directed it. I've heard, seen the play or heard it maybe 80, 100 times. I understood things anew. Watching it on the big screen. Yeah, the legal tr- narrative, the legal narrative. I understood the witness's testimony. and I mean, because they're just so big. The audio was great. And I was like, we have a, we do, we have a thing here. Mm-hmm. And I, awesome. I was also a little bit like, I can't imagine going back and tracking down all of those props and those <laughs> costumes. <laughs> we have got to do another screening closer to Chicago. Unfortunately, I could not make it to Glenview. Highland Park. Highland Park. It was way out there. The Wayfarer Theater, and that's a great place. They have a mission to show only positive films. So, like, they they refuse to show Cocaine Bear, for example, Mm. and, you know, shoot them up movies. Like, when did every James Bond movie just go? (laughs) James Bond used to have, like, a couple guns and jaws, but now it's just, like, too much. But uh, that's just me. I like that. You have to have some standards. Yeah. When I started doing work around peace, I was like, I, I, I just, I, I couldn't do the shoot 'em up movies anymore. Mm, principles. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, you know, it's, I'm not really, I used to be like really hardcore Quentin Tarantino fan and now I'm like, ah. Yeah. Same. I can't do it. You know? And so we, you know, we, we change and we learn and we grow and hopefully we keep on doing that because the longer you're changing, learning and growing, the longer you're staying alive and relevant. And who can teach you? The younger people. Hmm. Yeah. I think that, uh, you eventually always come back to your brand, like whatever your brand authentically is, you can try and do all this other stuff, but your heart really starts to show itself. Sometimes that's negative, sometimes it's positive, but hopefully you always come back to the things that that are true to you and true for you. So Ashe. Ashe. And that's is that I mean that almost ties into the law of attraction. What you put out into the universe is what you will get. Mm. Which is kind of another interpretation of karma. But, you know, I've been thinking about time a lot lately. And you can't separate time from space, so it's Mm space-time. And what I've really liked is the idea that we don't move. Time is not a line that we move through. We are here. Time is moving through us. Yeah, that's a great idea. So that you don't have to go and get it. It's coming. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And, 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 and you know me. Sometimes I can be maybe a little bit overambitious. That's nice. And so now that I'm 50, <laughs> I can, you know, I don't have to go get, I mean, you still have to make your to-do list, I think, and figure out what you're going to do, what's important to do every day. I mean, I make a to-do list every day, one way or another. You have to. And then I say, you know, and then... I try to do mine the night before, so when I go to bed, it's already, whatever is on my mind to do the next day, it's already done. Yeah. In some ways. Like, it just gives me a blueprint, because if I don't do it, I'm, I'm reaching for straws all day. For me... In an ideal day, I make it while I'm walking Coda. Hmm. 
you know, but you're right. You, the thing you go to bed with, are, the, the thoughts when you go to sleep are the seeds you plant in your dreams. <laughs> well, I just forget. I just forget the next day. And I'm like, what was that thing I wanted to do? And if I can look at my list, I'm truly informed and I can go after it. You know, other than that, I mean, and I'm not saying I do it every night, but I do try to do it as often as possible. Um, but my days go better and I, ch- and I check more boxes if I do it the night before. That's just the way it is. Henry, you're of the, of the fresh uh, generation of uh, <laughs> 20-somethings. What do you do to, to, to lay out your, your goals and your tasks for your day and your week? Um, that's a very good question. There we go. That's a very good question. Don't forget uh, to turn your own mic yeah. on. So worried about us, this guy yeah. is unbelievable. Oh man, um, I also have to make lists and stuff like that, or else I just won't do anything. I've tried so hard to not have to be able to do that, but uh, I just I, I can't get anything done unless I make a list. So I do that a lot. Um, you do it in your phone? Yeah. You do it as like an email, a draft email in your phone? Or I just use my notes app and I just like write down everything I need to do and then I just check it off and then I get old dopamine when I'm done. Even when I'm doing the most mundane <laughs> That is nice, right? Yeah. I have to have that physical, like draw the line through the thing that I was supposed to do. You do a notebook? Yeah. 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 I clearly just do a new draft of an email in my... Mm-hmm. One day, maybe I'll stage a play called Drafts of Emails Written in the Past. Mm. It'll only take content. It'll be, probably, it'll be pr- pretty strange. But anyways, <laughs> um, but, but let's talk about our guest, Darlene Jackson, also known as DJ Lady D, hailed as Chicago's house music queen by Chicago Magazine has toured North America, Europe, Asia, and Russia as an international DJ, producer, and remixer. And in 2004, she became a music publisher when she launched her independent record label and marketing brand, Delectable. Well-known for her charismatic sets of house, techno, and disco, her appearances at ARC, South by Southwest, Lollapalooza, Burning Man, and Chosen Few... And for fan-filled influencer charity and celebrity events, such as for Dave. Just, just, yeah, let's, let's not talk about celebrities. She's a member of the Screen Actors Guild and a Chicago chapter governor. And she was actually recently at the Grammys. I was. How was that? Fantastic. It it was, it was, I mean, an amazing, phenomenal, um, thing to witness, you know, wrapped inside of a monsoon, no less, because it, it rained for six days straight. But um, but the, just the experience of it all was, was quite um, eye-opening and enlightening. It actually was also activating and quite empowering because it made me want to really work on some problems that I saw. Excellent. Yeah. I'm a, you know, I'm a macro level thinker. I think about what's missing. Right. Like I, I can see that the, the forest for the trees and then I can see like, oh, there's a big gap here. And as far as dance music, which is, you know, house music, true to my heart and my soul. And when I watch, you know, people like Terry Hunter get nominated and nominated and um, other people in our sphere get nominated, but don't win. And basically because they're 
misplaced in their category. I think that that's a problem. And and I found in talking with other governors from other chapters that they thought it was a problem too. And everybody seems activated right now to fix what's broken. And so uh, we met with the leadership, national leadership, right after the Grammys. They talked us through how to make changes and institute new um, awards and nominations. And so we're working on that right now. People seeing people like Terry Hunter blaze a trail that through, you know, from Chicago straight through to the, uh, the Recording Academy is, has been, has lit a fire under folks. And so, um, I think we all feel very determined to show them and, and to prove that house music is a viable category. This is the 40th anniversary of house music. 1984 was a watershed year where we say, okay, house culture was bubbling up in the late seventies and through the early eighties. And then you get to 1984 and no longer are we passing out music on cassettes and reel-to-reels, but music gets put, house music and specifically gets put onto vinyl. And that vinyl starts being shipped all over the country and overseas. And so it takes house out of Chicago and into the cultural zeitgeist at large. And so that specific change uh, that first song, On and On, Jesse Saunders and Vince Lawrence, pressing up that record, made other DJs and producers go, oh, I can do that. And so 84 becomes this year where, you know, we get house music exported to the rest of the world, right? You used to have to come to Chicago to kind of experience house music. Now you can bring Chicago to you. And so that's why we look at 1984 as the watershed year and why we hence are celebrating in 2024, our 40th anniversary of house music. Um, and I would say that, you know, hip hop made us think about it uh, because they celebrated the 50th anniversary of hip hop all last year. Um, we were thinking about it for a couple of years, like what what is that thing that's going to put house music, um, like what's that cultural, you know, flashpoint that we can point to? And there's so much... Um, I guess, discrepancy about when the culture started and where it came from and who did what. Uh, but we do know that Frankie Knuckles came from New York. Robert Williams created the warehouse for him to play in. The, the, the lightning rod that the warehouse was and what Frankie was doing there made everybody excited and innovated. And so, and it was innovative at the time. So people, uh, really tried to emulate that, and they took that model, and they they started doing parties all over the city, and and so we talk about Frankie because he is he was at the forefront of that, and we continue to talk about Frankie because he never he never stopped his ground game. He was he was an international star. He traveled all over the world. He did all of the top remixes, which a lot of people here in Chicago did. But one thing he never stopped doing was DJing. He always kept his ground game going. He always had a residency somewhere. He always came back and did big parties. Even when he would move away, and he'd always come back and do something that kept him connected to the people on the ground. And so he, um, he for that reason, he, people still continue to talk about him. You know, there are a lot of founders at the beginning besides Frankie, but... 
the reason why people, I think, really still talk about Frankie in particular is because he didn't get too lofty. He didn't turn his back on house. He always stayed connected to the people, to the music, and to the culture of it. So, so that is, um, you know, one of the reasons why we consider him the godfather. But, you know, yes, certainly there were lots of key players that made that movement happen. Lots of, um, it was a youth movement. You know, house music was teenagers on the South Side and West Side, and they were um, entrepreneurial in spirit. They had... Um, they had a lot of, uh, I would say, personal uh, ownership of themselves because their parents came out of the civil rights movement. They espoused, you know, principles of equality to them. And, and they uh, were, you know, well-to-do middle-class folks that, you know, own their own homes. And, you know, we had disposable income, transportation. We could move around the city at, at will. And so you get kind of all of these things happening at once, plus the democratization of, of home studio equipment. That in and of itself allowed, you know, these creative kids to go into their basements and make music and create. And so that added the fuel, you know, but you can't even discount that all of that, plus this perfect storm of having radio support house music in Chicago, WBMX, and the mix shows, WDAI at first, but WBMX and WGCI and then B96 and all these other um, all these other commercial radio stations would follow suit in having DJ mix shows. That specialty DJ mix show really made it happen, made it pop off in Chicago with the Hot Mix 5, with Farley Funk and Keith and Ralphie Rosario and... Mickey Mixon, Oliver, Kenny Jam, and Jason, Scott Smoking Sills, these guys really helped put house on the map. Um, and then even those horrible thing, exploitation happened, uh, Tracks Records and DJ International, you know, they're pressing up the vinyl, they're taking all the publishing, but they're exporting it to the world. And so that made stars out of these, you know, homegrown producers. So all of those things happened and contributed, you know, these kids on the South Side being entrepreneurial, going out to these Catholic high schools and making parties happen, two, three, four thousand kids, you know, to to listen to your favorite DJs and um, and then doing that over and over again, creating space, creating safe and brave spaces where you could be who you are, be what you want it to be. And express yourself comfortably. You know, it was it was not misogynistic. It was not homophobic. You know, so it was all the things, and it it was a a, play, a level of inclusion um, that really made everybody comfortable. Like the anthem would say, you know, it's once you enter the house, it's not my house; it's our house, and you can be black, white. You know, Jew or Gentile, it doesn't make a difference in our house. And so that was the going ethos, and it still is. Now tell our listeners about Jack. <laughs> Jack is the one that gives you the power to the wiggly worm. <laughs> um, when was the first time you saw and heard and felt Frankie Knuckles' life? Yeah, um, actually, I feel like it was at Whitney Young. We had these things after school called sock hops, and um, Frankie did play one of those. And so I think I went home that day. Normally, my mom would not let me take the train, and so there was either like a pickup or something. That, but that day, I took the train home, and I was just 
it was absolutely incredible. Like I, I just went home, um, kind of walking on a cloud, like super, super, um, jazzed about what I had just and experienced you remember it. in my own, yeah, in my own gymnasium, right? Like you come from class and then you go and you, you like dance for two hours and then you're like by six thirty, it's all over. It was like a fever dream. <laughs> what happened? Then you go Which, home. <laughs> the first time, uh, no, I mean, as you said, like, that's yeah, the yeah. first time I, um, you know, Sandra was a house head, mm-hmm. Medusas and all of that. Yeah. And I was, you know, I moved out to the East Coast when I was 15. Um, and she started, she introduced me to house music. And the first time I went to Frankie at the House of Blues mm. for the 4th of July yeah. show. Yeah. I was like, I was like, this dance floor, it was like a music video. Yeah. Everybody, and normally, like, I'm, I like to dance, and normally there's this energy on a dance floor. It's very territorial. It's like mine, not yours, and, you know, but it's just all love on that dance floor. That's right. Yep. I think I was probably at that show because I used to go to whenever he would do his Thanksgiving show or his 4th of July show, I would always be there. And the one at House of Blues, it was probably 1993 or 94. And I got to stand in the booth with him. And so that was an incredible experience that I I didn't know him, but the guy I was dating at the time did. And so... Uh, we got to stand in the booth and I, I had sort of little bit of inkling that I wanted to be a DJ and I had started, you know, practicing a lot. Um, but to ob- observe him, you know, from that, cause he didn't know me. He could have said, no, I don't, you know, I don't need anybody in the booth or whatever, but he let us stand there and I got to see firsthand like what he was doing, how he was creating and how he did what he did. It left an enormous impact on me. He was an impeccable, classy DJ and person and so, um, just giving generous, you know, so that's what I took away from him. You could have you. I could have just been describing you just now. Well, that's what I. That's what I got from Frankie. Um, you know, uh, my good friend Dan Agney. Yeah, Dan. Shout out to Dan Agney. Sound Sound Investment. Investment. (laughs) Chicago legend now living in the Hollywood Hills. Oh wow. Um, he just uh, did a big uh, install in Vegas and in the Bahamas at the Atlantis. Dan Agney is kind of an industry uh, rock star and legend, but he was um, doing the sound system for Frankie. And Frankie would bring in Dan's stuff, not use the house of gear, and bring in the Function One system. And... Um, I uh, just rem- remembered uh, Dan Agney, so I had to say that. That's cool. No, sound was a, a huge thing for Frankie. It was a uh, it was a, a a thing that the New York DJs cared a lot about. And um, Richard Long was a sound designer that Frankie uh, and Robert Williams had come and designed the warehouse sound system. And so Richard Long also designed the sent the system at the shelter night club. And so he was, th- this was, you know, he was the most revered at that time to, to do the things that he did with sound. And when you realize in the beginning, like what, what sound means to house music, right? The, the, 
you got to feel it in your chest. You got to feel it all over your body. Like it's body music. So it makes you move. And that sound system is so important. So the emphasis on sound, like Larry LeVan, um, you know, Frankie was under his tutelage too. So I know that he probably got a lot of that from just coming out of the new, the, the way that the New Yorkers did things with sound. Um, and the, you know, fortunately, he brought it here because that is, I think, you know, was one of the things that one of the other takeaways that people got from experiencing Frankie Knuckles at the at the warehouse, the way he would play with effects. And he would have this big train that would go through and pass through all of the speakers. Right. So it was almost like surround sound and it would just come and hit you in the face. And so it was a lot of tick. Uh, tips, techniques, tricks, things that he used to do with sound that really set him apart from other people. And that was one of the things that we kind of got away from in the aughts when we go into the, the lounges and the bottle service. Like people, the club owners stopped caring about sound. House heads, house people, house music lovers, we need our sound. <laughs> A lot of other people don't care about that stuff. You know, low level MP3s and stuff like that. You don't realize what a difference it makes. But sound is important. Let's listen to a song. Can you introduce this one? Yeah. Okay. So I think you have my newest release. My newest release is a um, collaboration that I did with an awesome, prolific producer named Demarcus Lewis uh, out of Dallas, Texas. And um, just for a little background, I had uh, a a commission from an NPR show back in 2010. Uh, my friend Tashima Walker was on a, sh- a national NPR show, um, and she hit me up and said, "We want, you know, can you tell us a little bit about house music and what it means to you?" And I said, "Yeah, I, I guess." And so um, I wrote this poem about it, and then I was like, "Well, I don't know if people understand this poem, so I'm going to translate this poem." And so there's this poem, this little paragraph, and so. You know, we talked about it and it was on a show and it remained on their website. It's still there. But I forgot about it and I saw it recently and I thought, oh, this would be great. So my friend Andrew Emil, another local producer and also, you know, international DJ and record label owner um, for Play Music. And he uh, let me come into his studio and I recited the poem. And so I took those vocals and I was at a, a festival in Detroit. I played it. And, I, and he and and I didn't play it, but I saw Demarcus, who was also playing the festival. We played the festival together. I said, "Hey, I have these vocals. Would you want to hear them? And maybe if you want, if like them, make a track." And so, in a couple of days after he got home, he sent me back the track, and it was phenomenal. And we got it signed to Defected Records and their sub label, um, Sulfuric Deep. And so, this is a track called "A Deep Felt Love," based on the poem, the NPR poem that I wrote in 2010. Amazing.
herself a very incredible life we're all blessed and she is definitely blessed um how what's the origin story of this superhero <laughs> well i crash landed from uranus and um <laughs> no i mean thank you so much that's really complimentary and i i really do um appreciate that sentiment because um you know we have good days and bad days and hard days and and easy days and so the work that i do you know i i live for stuff like that because that keeps me going so thank you um my origin story 
You know, often I do feel like I'm from another planet because I'm an Aquarius one and <laughs> Aquarians are sort of the outliers of the Zodiac. You know, we people just don't get us <laughs> often. And so um, so I have, you know, a little bit of that feeling growing up a lot. Right. But I was born the last child from uh, Riola and Ira Jackson, and they, my parents had five other children before me, and so they were all born in the 50s, and then I, I here I come in the 70s, right? So my closest, you know, my nearest relative is like 11 years older than me. The oldest one is like 17 years older than me. So I was socialized early as a kid. I knew a lot about the world. You know, I, I hung out with my older brothers and sisters a lot. So I, I already always had this awareness and this intelligence and it just came from hanging out with older folks. And so, um, so it was hard for me to relate to people my age in some ways because I was like, what don't you get? Like, I get it, you know? So I was just always um, that per, per, that child, precocious. And my mother enrolled me in the arts at an early age. Um, from the time I was six years old, I was leaving our house. She would drop me off in Streeterville. There was a, a theater company uh, called Jack and Jill Players. And so I would go on every Saturday, I mean, religiously, every Saturday, and for half the day, like in the morning, we do like ballet and dance and then go for lunch. And then in the afternoon, we'd be doing, you know, learning lines and like rehearsing for some sort of play. So that went on for like from the time I was six to 12. By the time I was 12, I was pretty tired of it. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. But it was like an all ages youth theater program. And so that again was because it was all ages. Well, at least from six to whatever. I think they took me because I was so worldly, I guess. But they, they, I was hanging out with older actors and whatnot. And so I, I would say, you know, like older teen actors. Um, so I got to, you know, just observe a lot. I think I'm more of an observer of life. And um, and I, so I kind of interpret things and, you know, have this like innate intuition. But my early upbringing in the theater really taught me that I was a, 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 a citizen of the world. It was more so like I'm not from the South Side. I'm not from any side. I'm, I'm just a, a, a person. And so just having that attitude, I think, just allowed me to, to soar. Um, I made a made for TV movie when I was 11. I was cast in the Marva Kala story with Cicely Tyson and Morgan Freeman and, you know, made a whole movie. And so this was another way that, you know, I was informed about like, how movies are made and being on set for a month and, you know, location and sound stages. And so I knew from an early age that the arts give you a certain exposure to things. And it made me want to, um, to advocate for arts in a way that, you know, that people, um, probably at my age would not be doing right. So, you know, I'm telling people like, learn to dance, do this, do these things. I went to high school at when young and, you know, I, I took a lot of dance there. I did not do theater there because I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm not going to do theater anymore. Um, 
part of that got me, you know, into the sciences. And so I was into AP biology. I went to college and I was a biology major pre-med. I went to pre-med. I went, I went through my pre-med program and ended up going to podiatry school after college for two years. The first year was cool. The second year, something was wrong. So I didn't know what was wrong, but something went wrong. And I was, I was starting to suffer. Um, and at the end of that year, the school and I had a discussion. We decided I would take a year off and, you know, partially because I had failed a couple classes. I actually failed three classes out of 17, but they said you could go to summer school if you failed two, but if you take, if you failed three classes, you need to take a year off. I said, okay, I'll take a year off. And boy, oh boy, did I have so much fun that year. I refound myself, like who I truly was. I realized that I had been depressed that, that year. I did not open my curtains for about six months. I kind of was not understanding what, what was happening with me, but I knew I was suffering somehow. Um, it was only in retrospect, like having that in the rearview mirror that I was like, oh man, that's what's wrong. I, this is not me. It's, I'm wearing a coat that doesn't fit, you know, and it's making me sad. And so so once I started going out and, and socializing and I realized that I'm a very social person and I need to be out among people. I need to, I don't want to feel competition. I want to show love. Like that was like what was missing in my life. And so um, having the experience of that, I knew I was never going back. Like I was like, Mm-mm. and I had to learn how to be fearless and fierce. You know, I had to tell my parents I was not going to go back to med school. And, um, and I didn't know what I was going to do, but I started dating a DJ. We moved in together and all of a sudden I had DJ equipment in my life and I had forgotten that I had learned how to DJ in high school. I had a lot of friends that had DJ equipment and I used to go hang out with them and I was collecting records and I was, you know, playing with them in, you know, just in their houses or whatever. But, but I remembered this love that I had for it and boy, it was easy to kind of just go down that path, not thinking that I was going to be a professional DJ, but just loving the feeling of creating and having a sense of, oh, I know what I'm doing here. And it felt familiar and it felt good. And um, it was only after other people would see me or hear me play, like just entertaining at home or whatever, that people would be so encouraging and say like, hey, you're actually good. You should you should play. You should play out. And um, when my friend booked me for my first show, which I was not I was not told about. She just said, I put your name on this flyer, show up at this time, be there and, and play for people. And so I, I, I just, you know, I acquiesced. I showed up. What's that? Who is that friend? That uh, was Begonia. Begonia. <laughs> wherever you are right now. Yeah, she's a big promoter in New York. And we used to live in a loft together above Marche in the West Loop, which was 120 North Green across from today's Soho House. And there was nothing in the West Loop at that time. We used to throw raves in our loft. We used to have such a good time. There were about five of us that lived there including my brother, Javon Jackson, and Mel Hammond, and Frosty Long, and my my friend Joe Pompey, who, you know, is a genius, graduated from MIT, and has this audio spotlight company, and just, you know, so just a really cool time. Everybody lived in that building, from Derek Carter, and Mark Farina, to Mozzie, and and um, just a lot of different people in the in the music industry, the Red Nail Kids, Chris Nazuka, and all those guys, and so... 
it was a a hot spot for a lot of creativity coming you know into the early to mid 90s there was a club downstairs called Alcatraz where they used to throw parties and raves at um so so big part of Chicago's 90s history we're like the second wave you know um maybe I would consider myself even the third wave you know but um yeah, a lot of stuff happened after that, right? So the formation of Super Jane, the, you know, uh, what's recognized as America's all um, first all women internationally known DJ collective. And, you know, we got a lot of national tours, internationals, um, all accomplished, you know, things, uh, record label owners, musicians, talented producers, remixers, Colette and Heather and Dehota singers and stuff. So we um, have kind of tried to, you know, just take it far. Just we're DJs who happen to be women. And and I think that's how I look at myself. And I think that um, that part has been inspirational, not only to women, but also to anybody that wanted to, um, you know, pursue this as a as a viable career. Right. So if you're listening to this right now, live or somewhat in the near future, and you feel like your clothes, known as your life, don't fit you, do not be scared. Listen to your stomach and your heart and just do it. Follow that voice because if you wait too long... You will feel like you can't, and you can always, you never get another chance at right now. Okay. Um, because, you know, Sandra was pre-med. I was finance. I mean, and, 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 um, and, and it, everything happens for a reason. So don't worry about the past. John Mahoney didn't become an actor until he was nearly 50. He was an actuary. <laughs> Amazing. You know, so, okay, we're nearing the end of the show, and I, I want to do a little speed round. Okay. So let's just say, you know, no more than maybe 24 seconds per answer. Sure. 30 seconds tops. Let's start with an easy one. I like games. Who is the best hugger? Ooh, oh my goodness. In your life, Manet, of course. my daughter. <laughs> Love her hugs. Big, big hug vibes for Manet right now. <laughs> Hi, Manet. I hope you, I hope you listen to the show. <laughs> Manet has two sessions today, so she's um, either mastering or recording or something. So she's got her own little like thing going <coughs> in the music industry in Chicago, and I'm so thankful that people have received her so amazingly. So, most memorable event you performed at. Gotta gotta be Lala. I mean, Lala is incredible. It it was incredible. I think I'm still the. I don't know if I'm the. I know I'm the first black woman to DJ Perry stage at Lala, um, and I that might still be the case. I don't know for sure. Um, but you don't really see that many women DJs on on the Perry stage, and so that was exciting. 2011, which was the 20th anniversary of Lollapalooza. Lollapalooza, it's time to bring DJ Lady D back to I love that. Perry stage. Hey. Did, you, did you have any fire on your stage? No, nah, not then. That first year, that was the first year of Perry stage. And 
they had this tent over the whole thing and it was boiling in there. <laughs> and the next day they took the, they took the tent off because kids were passing out. <laughs> you live and you learn, right? <laughs> there is footage of that uh, on uh, YouTube. You can check that out. Okay. Biggest hope. Mm. I know it sounds a little silly, but world peace. Not silly at all. <laughs> not today. Not not here for WCPT listeners. <laughs> I've always, that's always been my everlasting hope. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not y- young anymore, uh, but I still have a lot of life in me yet. And I... I'm ever the optimist, you know, so I remain hopeful for world peace. Favorite collaboration moment? Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, I'm going to be honest. I, I really did have a outer body experience at the DuSable premiere of A Trial in the Delta. It was, um, I think the first time I really felt like we hit it out the park. Yeah. Yeah. Everything came together. It really did. Um, that's great to hear. Um, you know, we, when, uh, listen, I, when I started working with you probably in 2010, I was just playing some of the like events that you guys were doing, some of the fundraising stuff. Well, well it was David Rosen said, we had done the Beelzebub with him the year before, and he said, there's this DJ. I heard her on the radio. She just played Lollapalooza. Her name is DJ Lady D. And the thing is, is that we just missed each other. I really still don't know, because I started uh, promoting a, a house music night and working with the Soul Foundation. Yeah. Brian, Brian G. Look, I was always surprised by how many people you knew in my community that I was like, how do you all know this guy? So you were throwing parties that were house music. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And in 98, 99. Okay. As I was um, doing the collaboration thing. And, um, and uh, so there's no coincidences we were meant to right. be here right now yeah and um and a couple more quick questions we have two minutes left yes. let me just do one last okay your proudest moment being a, a, an awesome mom that's what i'm the most proud about like my relationship with my daughter is everything and uh the sacrifices i had to make along the way to you know make her life meaningful and to set her up to be a kind, productive person in society. I'm really proud of that. Beautiful. How can people um, get more Lady D in their life? (laughs) I have a few gigs coming up. You can follow me on Instagram at DJ Lady D. I always promote my shows there. I have some things coming up in March. I'm going to be in Minneapolis. I'm doing a little mini tour. I'm going to Minneapolis March 8th, March 16th. I'll be in Seattle. Um, And from the 20th to the 26th, I'll be doing various shows in Miami during the Miami Music Week. Uh, I come back to Chicago. I play at Dorian's with the Good Girls on 
on the 27th. I'm at Arbea for the uh, for uh, DJ Quicktastics uh, anniversary party on the 28th. Uh, so that Wednesday and Thursday when I come back from Miami. And uh, just a little early warning, uh, August 9th. The big meat party for, comes in for Halsted Days and Market, I'm sorry, Market Street Days, Market Days. Um, so Jake Resnikow and Dusty Carpenter, and I'm excited to, you know, wear some leather. <laughs> if, if there's a DJ, a young DJ who, like, found this on Spotify because they Googled DJ Lady D and they said, oh, she was on a podcast on February 24th, 2024, which is kind of a special day, yeah. right? Uh, two, 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 four. Yes. What would you, what piece of advice would you give to them? I would say, um, work hard at your craft, be kind to people and, um, always remember your worth. You heard it here, folks. Um, that was uh, Collaboration Radio with DJ Lady D. If you'd like to become a member for as little as a dollar a month, you can support Collaboration and programming like this. You can also uh, get some ads, become a sponsor, um, or just follow us on social media and figure out when you're going to come out and experience the show. We have some announcements coming up. And um, Darlene... I love you. I love you too. You are awesome. And I'm so <laughs> glad you. we finally did this. You are awesome. This is DJ Lady D with DJ Lady the D. The light in me sees the light in you. Namaste. Namaste. Henry, thank you. Hit that, ring that bell for me, will you? Hit it loud. That's right. Yeah. The deli is. Another one in the books. That's right. We put it in, a, in the space time continuum. That's right. Later. Hey.